Ruth, right after the book of Judges, so uh, right before 1 Samuel, um, when, uh, we're going to be uh, starting in chapter 2 this morning, and I'm going to just read through this whole chapter this morning, and then I'll, 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 we'll jump in this morning. So if you're ready, here's the word of God. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, Lord, be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young men who were in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessel and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some leftover. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. And so she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned, And she also brought out and gave her the food he had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? 
And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had with whom she had worked and said, This man with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until we have, they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with, this, with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak through your word this morning, because as we say, no, we know nobody came here to hear Russell. Nobody came to, to hear me speak, but they came to hear from you. So, Lord, speak to us through your word, through your Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So last week, I, I confessed something pretty serious, if y'all remember. Uh, and it was heavy, and I asked everybody to keep it here. And uh, my confession was that every once in a while, I like chick flicks. Yes, it's true. I had to turn in my man card last week because every once in a while, I love a sappy love story. You know, I love especially Cinderella love stories, like the new one that came out. Have y'all seen that? It is so good. And I, and I think I've kind of explored this, you know, because I'm not a touchy-feely kind of guy. I'm not an emotional feeler type person. And I've wondered, what is it about love stories I particularly like, you know? I mean, and don't get me wrong, I do like action, you know? I, I love, you know, I love a good action war movie. Don't get me wrong. But a love story is amazing. And, and I think I know why. Because the gospel is a love story. And so, uh, and, and th- throughout the Bible, it tells of a love story of God who would sacrifice his only son to redeem his bride, the church. And that one day, we long for, we look ahead to a day when uh, the great wedding feast of the Lamb occurs. And we will all be there in celebration in eternity. It'll be the endless party, the endless wedding party together. And, and so the, the Bible's a love story. And here's another love story. Um, and we, we, we introduced this story last week, this book of, little book of Ruth that seems kind of random, placed here in the middle of the Old Testament. Uh, but it's far from random. Uh, and, uh, and so last week we see, we saw um, that this, this love story where... Uh, uh, but it started off pretty bad, if you recall. And we, 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 we saw that it, it started bad, and it just continued to get worse. Um, you know, and as a church, we have, <clears throat> and we've talked a lot about suffering, in the, like the, over the last several weeks. I was just kind of noticing that, and I, and I had kind of told people, that's not been my choosing. In the book of Acts, we saw persecution, we saw martyrdom, we saw suffering there, and then last week we saw suffering, and we, we said last week that, um, you know, you, we need a good theology of suffering, 
When suffering comes, how do we deal with it? Do we become bitter or do we become better? But here's the thing, and I, I kind of want to explore and get to today, is I think, I think Christians have as much of a hard time with not just suffering, because when suffering comes, we certainly struggle with that and how to deal with it. But we, I think sometimes we struggle when things go well. When things are really going well and God, and God is seemingly, or good things are happening, we struggle with that. Um, so here in the story, we saw things get, get started bad and got worse. So, the, you know, things started, it starts, it says, in the days when the judges ruled, and this is in the period of, of Israel's history when there was no king and, and uh, it was just anarchy. And so just a bad time in Israel's history where God had to keep, the people of Israel would disobey and end up in a bad situation and God would bring these judges to deliver and so on. And then we saw that famine struck the land and so uh, there was nothing to eat and it was you know, potential starvation. And so we see this guy Elimelech who responds to that by moving his family out of the, the promised land, out of God's, uh, uh, away from God's people, away from uh, Israel, away from God's worship into Moab, this pagan, godless country. And then Elimelech and his two sons die, leaving uh, Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, these two Moabite daughter-in-laws, kind of alone and destitute in this foreign pagan land. And they decide, she decides the best option for her is to return to Jerusalem, return to her hometown, and maybe she'll have a chance of survival. And so she tells her daughter-in-laws, don't come, y'all should just stay, you have a better chance of getting married here. And we see that Ruth it, it, it hasn't just married and become a part of his family. She, she has become a follower of God and says, no, I will remain with you and your people and with you and your God. And so she sticks with her. But Ruth returns, and she's bitter. She hadn't, got, she hadn't become better. She says, don't call me Naomi, which means like, a, like pleasant. She says, call me Mara. And she's renamed herself Bitter. I mean, you change your name to Bitter, you know, so here they come. So here's this, uh, or, this widowed um, uh, Moabite woman uh, and a bitter old lady returning to Jerusalem. And that's where the story picks back up here. So they, things have turned out tragically for Naomi and Ruth, okay? Uh, but even in her bitterness and sorrow, she did the best thing possible. She returned to the land of her God. She returned to God. And when we return to God, so let's make this point first off. When we return to God, God blesses. God blesses when we return to Him. When we come back to God from wherever we've been, wherever we've been wandering or whatever, God promises to bless and provide. So when we return to God, He will graciously bless you. And this is a promise that is repeated over and over and over again throughout the entire Bible. You return to me, I'll bless you. That's simple. Like Joel 2.13 says, Now return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, 
slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. And this is exactly what we see here with Naomi and Ruth, isn't it? They return home. They return, and, and, and because they've returned, their fortunes are reversed. Okay? They, you know, look at it. They're able to come home, and just because of God's providence, and He created the laws of God, they are able to glean in the fields of Israel. So that's, this is an Old Testament law, it's Leviticus, that told the people, don't, don't, don't farm your whole field, but leave some extra. Leave the edges, leave the fringes of your field so that people that are either poor or the widows or foreigners. And I, I could hold half a sermon there on, on uh, immigration. Let's stop there, okay, because I, I could start preaching on that, okay? But so they were supposed to have these fringes so that people who didn't have could have. So, in other words, People were to plan their lives, plan their finances, and have margin in their lives so that they could help people who couldn't help themselves. And so, just by returning, there's these laws that are being honored in Israel. And then they are shown amazing kindness and favor by Boaz. So, just by returning, they are seeing blessing. And, And here's the thing. The book of Ruth is about returning. It's, it's, this, it's this theme and this idea of returning back to God. Do you know, in the, in the first chapter, the word return, it's, there's just one word. It's actually translated several different ways in our modern translations, I guess to make it more readable. But the word shuv, which is the word return, shows up ten times in the first chapter. And so there's this idea, return to God, come back. And you will find blessing and provision. The premise is that if you return to God or repent, it's another word, just a return, He will provide and take care of you. He will bless you. And so, and, and so repentance or returning is about recognizing where you were or where you are is not a good place. That you are in a broken, messed up situation or your heart is broken and messed up and you are in need of grace, and you look and you see that there is provision and blessing with God, and you, and you move from the place of brokenness, and you move towards and you return towards God's provision and grace. That is the idea of repentance. Repentance is to turn around, turn from the direction you're going, and return. And the promise is, you will be blessed. And Boaz gets it right here. He makes, like a, makes a theological statement about this. If you look with me in verse, um, verses 10 through 12, real quickly. Take a look at this. All right? So he has been really gracious. He's been really gracious to, to Ruth. So she falls on her face. He's just really in this mood. Like, that's what they used to do. You know, if you were in, uh, very grateful you would fall down and for somebody she fell on her face bowing to the ground and said to him why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner but Boaz said to her all you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before 
The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, here it is, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. He's saying, because you have, you have left your current state, you have left your pagan nation, you have left your place of brokenness and sin, and you have returned to God, He will repay you, He will reward you, Because you have taken shelter under his wing. And this doesn't mean that she's earned it, by the way. This idea is that that by returning, he is blessing her and graciously giving what she didn't deserve. So he got it right. Now, here's the thing. Here's the cool thing about this. The, The beautiful thing about this story is that this blessing is for anyone who returns. Did you hear that? This blessing is for anyone. Okay, notice first of all, Naomi is receiving these blessings. Naomi and her husband have, have, have gone off in sinful disobedience. They were told to separate from the Moabites and others like them. They were told not to intermarry with them. They were told not to do these things, but to stay where God is. To stay with God, stay in his worship and so on. And and yet, in her return, she's blessed. Now, you might be in a place in your life where you think, I can't return. I've gone too far. I've done too much. And maybe you're a a believer and you think, I've I've gone and I just keep going. I, I just keep wandering off to Moab. I just keep straying. I keep doing the same things. And here's the thing. His mercy is new every day. His grace is fresh, brand new, every moment. So when should you return and go to God? When should you repent? Now. It's a constant, continual return. Return, return, return. And we need it over and over again. So anybody. But then, Ruth returns. Now Ruth didn't return. Ruth came for the first time. But here's the thing. Ruth was a foreigner. Ruth wasn't a part of the people of God. She wasn't, uh, you know, she wasn't uh, uh, an ethnic Jew or Israelite. She was a Moabite. And here's the thing. Okay, so no, she's this Moab outsider from a foreign land, from an unclean place. So no matter your background, no matter where you're from, no matter what race you are, no matter what class you're from, no matter anything, no matter how bad your background is, no matter how broken or messed up you may be, you can return. The gospel is open and free to everyone. And if this, if this book right here and this, this, this passage is here doesn't, doesn't um, lay verdict on what's going on in our country right now, nothing does. The gospel is for everyone. And that means no one is better than anyone else. No matter what color you think you are, or how superior you think your race or your class or your way of thinking or your way of dressing or anything like that, none of it matters before God. Because before God, we're all Naomi's. We're all Ruth's. And one day we're going to stand together and, we, and, and this is what breaks my heart, I mean, because the history of the church has been one of division, intentional racism, 
and classism, it breaks my heart. It really does. You know, and, and our church, the church we're a part of, has been a part of that. We'd love to see that reconciled. So no matter your background, no matter your brokenness, return. But why, why does God bless? You ever thought about that? Why would God bless and be gracious to people who don't deserve it? And I, I love this part of the story. Okay? Here's why. God blesses because he loves it. He delights. God delights in giving you joy. Did you know that? God delights in your joy. We think of God sometimes as this mean old, you know, hateful God who's just ready to smack us with a lightning bolt at any moment, right? Like the old schoolmaster with a ruler. But no, God delights in bringing us joy. And we see this in this story, okay? okay? This truth that God delights is, is reflected in this story because Ruth here, she, they, they return, and Naomi's probably too old to go out and work in the field, so she gets her daughter-in-law to go out and try to glean and try to pick up scraps. She's gone out for scraps. Let's get this picture in our mind. She's gone out for scraps into the field, pick up what's left over, hopefully, and, and hopefully won't get assaulted or something. That apparently is a danger. And she, she, she comes upon this field. And then we see... In this field, a love story begins. And here it comes. The love story begins because Boaz shows up on this field. And Ruth, Ruth catches his eye. Okay? You notice in verse 5, he says, you know, whose young woman is this? So he notices her right away. He's like, who is that? Now, uh, I don't know why. It could have been because it was maybe strange or different that she wasn't there, you know, or that she wasn't really supposed to be there or whatever. I think maybe she was hot. You know, he's like, "Woo, who's that girl out there? You know what I'm saying? I, you know, he's like, hmm. Right? So he asks his guys. He's like, uh, you know, what's, what's up with this girl? Why is she out here? And they're like, oh, don't you, haven't you heard the story of her? And so it's not just that she's hot. We see that because then he, he hears her story. And he's like, Dad, haven't you heard about her? And, and what's really there is there is godly character. There's godliness and character in this woman. And he notices that. He likes that. Let me tell you, my wife, Amanda, she, she's hot. Okay? And, and that, I like that. <laughs> right? But let me... But what, what's the most beautiful thing about my, my wife, Amanda, is her passion and love for Jesus. Struggle to know him, to be known. I love that about her. And that's what he sees that, right? So, but he, so Ruth catches his high. So, and he's like, woo, I like her. And, you know, and he ain't, you, you don't, well, he's not saying it. He's thinking it. Because you know why? Because I can see. Watch what happens, okay? This gets good. All right, uh, verses uh, 8 through 10, he, he offers, her, offers her a place to glean. So he's like, hey, you know, you can just stay here. We'll, we'll protect you. We'll, you. Don't go anywhere else. You stay here. Okay, and then so he gives her this place to glean. And then verse 14, he invites her to dinner. 
He's like, you come, eat with us. It reminds me when I met Amanda, my wife. Uh, we met, uh, I was uh, volunteering in this um, singles ministry thing or whatever, and she was serving drinks at this table, and I noticed her. And so I, I went over to serve, you know, because I'm Mr. Servant in heart himself. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, yeah, no, that ain't true. And so I went over to serve with her, and then, and so then, like, uh, a bunch of people were going out to, to dinner that night, and so I, I invited myself, and, and, and during that dinner, I made sure I was going to be sitting, like, either next to her or right across from her. I was, like, shuffling, and, you know, I was trying to, and I got in, man, I was right across from her, man, I was going to make sure I was right there. Now, you see Boaz, he's like, he's, like, orchestrating things, you know, trying to keep her, get her, get to know her, you know, he's trying to. Butter her up too, man, because then he's like giving her extra things, like, you know, give her water. You have water, my men have. And, you know, and then you know, he gives her food. And then he and it gives her this roasted grain. And it's like this idea that, like, maybe he's like over there roasting for her. You know what I mean? Like, it's the first time he's ever cooked. You know what you're talking about? Like, us guys trying to cook for our wives and stuff. Uh, and he's over there cooking for the first time and giving her roasted grain. Um, and then, verses 15 and 16, he gets his workers. He's not just going to let her glean now. He's going to go over the top. He's like, you know, uh, hey, leave a bunch of extra. You know what I'm saying? And then he's like, oh, tops and whole bundles. And so she ends up going home with like an ephah of barley, which is a bunch. Let's just, she's like, she struggles over at Naomi. When she gets back, she's like, where have you been? Where have you been? Like, whose field did you go to? You know what I'm saying? And so she knows something is up. And here's the thing. Ruth caught Boaz's eye. Here it is. And out of his delight for her, he begins to lavish blessings upon her. Do you hear it? Do you see it? Because he started to delight in her. He began to... To have an affection for her, the, the, the natural response is to pour blessings and, and to give good things, right? We do it to our kids. We, you know, we're up late at midnight Christmas putting together toys that weren't supposed to be put together. Or some, you know, German engineer design and nobody can put it together, right? You had one... Why? Because we delight in our children. We go to Disney and stand in hot lines in the middle of July. Why? Because we delight in giving our kids good things. And, and Boaz delights in giving um, Ruth good things. But God's in this story too. They don't, they don't name God in this story, but you don't have to. Because take a look at this. All right? Um, we see God's providential grace for Naomi and Ruth in this story. Look at it. Okay, First of all, they just happened to return during the harvest. They, and then Ruth just happened to land on the one field that would be safe and belong to the one man that could eventually help them. And then Boaz just happened to come that day from, from Bethlehem. Let me tell you what. None of this is an accident. God was blessing Naomi and Ruth. Why? Because he delighted in them. 
This is the same story. God has led them to safety and provided through his son, uh, through his law for them, but it goes on. He doesn't stop there. Listen. Because of Jesus coming and living a perfect life that we could never live, dying a death we perfectly deserved, we are now given the rights to become sons and daughters of God. In other words, so where we, were, we stood in judgment, we stood in a place of judgment and condemnation, because of Jesus, we take his place. He took our place on the cross. We take his place as God's own son in whom he delights. Y'all remember in the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he's baptized and he comes up out of the water and God himself says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Y'all remember that? That, my friends, is the eternal, every moment declaration of God's delight upon you. And if you receive and by faith what Jesus has done for you, you, you receive now always the eternal delight of God himself. In John chapter 15, Jesus tells his disciples, and by extension us, if you, if you return, you abide in me, you will live. And if you abide in my love, you will live. And he tells us that in that same way, we should love one another. And then he goes on to say this. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Or the word complete. See, here's the thing. God's ultimate goal for you is that you have complete joy. And he loves it. Now, just as a side note, sometimes he takes us through hard things, like we might with our kids. Sometimes giving our kids everything they think they want in the moment is not necessarily what's going to bring them ultimate joy, right? My kids want to eat uh, donuts for dinner every night. That's not going to give them joy. It's going to give them a stomachache, right? So I wanted them to eat and so on. And they don't, in the moment, don't see it. So very often when we're going through suffering in our lives, we need to understand that God is, is working for, orchestrating, and moving us to make our joy complete. And he loves it. That is his delight. So how do we respond to that, though? How do we respond? I'm going to say this, that we need to humbly receive his grace. Ruth and Naomi, they knew they were not worthy and deserving of the grace they were shown. We see that in how she responds. But, but here's the thing, they received it. They took it. They, they, they rested in what was given them. She, she hauled that barley home. You know, she, she, she took that grace home. I don't, I don't know about you guys, though. Um, do you have a difficulty with really believing and receiving the delight of God? Do you struggle with that? It, I don't know about you guys. Let me be personal with this real quick. 
I struggle with that sometimes. I say things like, uh, this is too good to be true. God couldn't possibly delight in me and actually delight in bringing me joy. I default to, I don't deserve this. God can't possibly do this. Um, some of y'all haven't met our uh, Jonathan Duckett. We call it him Duckett. Uh, he was one of our uh, guys here, and he's gone off to seminary. And one of the things that's really cool is that uh, um, we saw God just open the doors for him. So he, you know, Duckett was the kind of guy, we would, he would be, he led worship for us and so on, but he would be talking about, like, there's no, there's no way I'll ever go to seminary or, you know, do any kind of school. There's no way this, no way that, you know, and so on. And God just graciously opened the way for him. And he applied to a seminary down in uh, Orlando, and God uh, poured on him a full-ride scholarship. And it was really cool, because uh, as a church, you know, we had been going through some hard things, man. It was like a victory for all of us, you know? It was amazing. But it was, it was totally God. Like, I can remember that the, he had asked me to t- drive down there with him, because he had to interview for this thing all day on a Friday. And he was freaking out. Well, the day before, at our like regional pastors meeting, uh, one of the uh, professors uh, came from the school to speak at our. And, and, and I, I went up to talk to him later. Said, "Hey, you know what's up with the scholarship?" And it turned out he was one of one of the top people that would select people for this scholarship. That doesn't happen. I've never met this guy before. I don't think anybody had ever come from that seminary, at least in the time I've been there. And so we knew it was God. And, and Duckett w- went to Ireland. He got to go to Ireland. His, like, dream place to go. And he was standing on a wall in Ireland looking out over the mountains. And he gets the email that says, you have been approved for the Hughes Scholarship. A full ride. Upwards of $60,000 and $1,000 a, a year for books. Your way is paid for. It is covered. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Uh, and, um, however, I texted him a couple weeks ago, and I was like, how are you doing? He's like, I'm doing pretty good, just struggling with the imposter syndrome. And I was like, what, what do you mean? Like, so, we actually, uh, we're down in Orlando uh, this week, and so I, I wanted to ask, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> Duckett, you know, we, Duckett's Mr. Nerd, so uh, he, uh, he'll love me saying that, because uh, it's true. Um, he comes up with the craziest stuff. Anyways, I wanted to find out what the heck he was talking about. So, and so he was like, well, the other day, uh, I, was, um, I, I, I got a notice from the school that my account was in suspension, had been suspended, and I couldn't, I couldn't register or go to classes or do anything because my account hadn't, has now been uh, past due, and now they needed money from me. And he thought, oh, here it is. I knew it. He said, I, I had, he's just having this constant sense, this constant feeling that, that this was all just some kind of practical joke. And it was just no way this was really true. It was a dream that he was going to wake up from. And that sooner or later, they were going to be like, they're going to find out who he was and know who, you know, something. And he was just really this imposter. And that uh, one day, they were, the, the rug was going to come out from under and the reality was going to hit. Nope. You didn't really get that scholarship. We were just messing with you. That's, you know, and he's really feeling like that. And so he goes, 
to like uh, the professor that the charge of the thing and uh, you know said, "Hey, what's up with that?" You know, and he said, "Oh, it's because you're taking a summer class. It, they'll fix it. No big deal. You still have a full ride scholarship. It's paid for." And he's thinking, oh, it can't be. There's no way. Do you see the relationship here, guys? We live like imposters sometimes. We have imposter syndrome. We live, like as Paul would say, um, like some, some people live as slaves, not sons. And Paul tells us in Romans 8, we have, we are, we have not gone back into a spirit of slavery, but we, are, we have a spirit of sonship. Bear why we call we cry out, Abba Father. In other words, when we we our account is paid, we have a full ride scholarship because of what Christ has done. He has paid for it. It is done. But we struggle, don't we? Here's a cool thing about this story. Naomi and Ruth came looking for breadcrumbs. And instead, they got a feast. They came looking for scraps. And they got the truckload. That is God's grace. When we come to God, even for breadcrumbs, we get a banquet. It's like the prodigal son. I'm not going to read it, though, dude, okay? If you remember the story of Prodigal Land, the book that back there talks about it. The son, you know, the, the prodigal himself. You know, he says, I'm, he takes his dad's money and goes and he lives in wild living. He ends up in the pigsty, you know what I'm talking about in the story. And, and while there, he comes to his senses, it says, and, he's, he come, and he starts to come up with a plan. He's like, well, even my father's servants have something to eat. So maybe if I go and I could just be one of my dad's servants now that I've messed up, I've gone off. I've become a Naomi. I've become a Ruth. I've really gone afar. I've gone a long way away. So I'm just going to go back. And maybe I can get some scraps at the table. And so he's got this script in his head now. He's got this thing. He's got this deal he's going to make with his dad. And he makes his way up. And before he can get a word out of his mouth, his father runs to him and embraces him. And doesn't make him a servant. Clothes him with honor. Embraces him with love. And they throw a party. That is the story of the gospel. We don't deserve it. But that is who God is. So a question for you. Is it time for you to return to God? Maybe you've never come to him. Let me tell you, if, if the gospel declares that it is a free gift, all you have to do is believe and receive it, and you are invited in to the grand banquet. You are invited in. So do it now. And maybe you're a believer, and you're, you're, you're wandering off. The life of the believer is to repent. To return, to return, return. How many times do you need to repent? It's probably as many moments in a day. Martin Luther, the reformer, said the life of the believer is repentance. It is returning. 
Every moment. Every moment. Why? Because we forget it. We forget it. So then, I ask you one last question. Do you struggle to believe that God, God himself, the God of the universe, delights in you? And that's, this is what Christian growth is about. It is about resting, believing, and embracing that God himself actually delights in us. And he is fighting for our joy. Let me tell you, if you believe that, you're going to delight in God. You're going to love that God. You're going to serve that God. You're going to sacrifice for that God, aren't you? That is what the gospel calls us to. When we come to him with breadcrumbs and scraps, we get the feast. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this cool love story. Story of undeserved, lavish grace being poured out upon the, the, the wicked and upon the foreigner. But it is your grace that you delight and love to give us. And so, Lord, help us to live and receive that. Help us to own it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And this... Uh,